I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And I'm John Kim. And this is Sneaker Salaries, a deep dive look at sneaker news and sneaker culture with insights from those that live the passion and the lifestyle of sneakers. Hey, we're back with another episode of Sneaker Salaries. Today, we're speaking with Derek Curry, who is the owner of Sneaker Politics, uh, founded in Lafayette, Louisiana, but has since expanded to several other locations in the South. Derek, welcome to the show, man. Yo, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so Derek, you know, you're well known for owning Sneaker Politics, but you have a really interesting backstory. So can we start with that by you uh, telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure, man. Um didn't know I was in the sneakers, I guess, going to school, playing on the playground. Then as you're growing up, kind of your mom gives you those one pair of cool shoes to where someone notices and you're like, oh, wait, yeah, yeah, these are those. Yeah. Um, started getting into it that way, started getting into sports, players. Um, and I guess it just went from there. I mean, fourth grade, Jordan was huge. Jordan fives came out, kind of started my whole sneaker life i guess man to where i really started caring about shoes and wanting to get everything and figuring it out from there well and so then being into sneakers kind of it evolving into when you maybe got to high school or even college you know that age can you talk about kind of how you got serious about sneakers and then how you decided to start a sneaker shop yeah um high school high school was different man high school is when mom quit buying shoes so uh, it was cutting grass it was it was doing whatever you can to try to make some extra money to to get a pair um you didn't want just one pair of shoes for the whole school year anymore you're older you wanted more pairs so uh, it, mom wasn't buying me more than one so it was, it was doing whatever you can to get grab some money scoop up a pair here and there um Dion's were coming out chris weber's were coming out it wasn't just jordan's anymore it was all these other athletes getting their pro models that i wanted griffies i mean even reebok had like insta pumps and things like that air max 95s there was so many shoes coming out and like blowing my head up that i wanted everything so just started cutting grass started picking up trash doing whatever i can to grab some money to grab shoes went through that had no clue i was gonna make money off of it ever um just loved shoes at the time. Then uh, kind of joined the army, went through that, figured out I didn't want to go that path in life. Um, went back to college, took college serious. While in college, I needed a part-time job while I'm, I'm getting through and I uh, found finish line. And from there, that's when things changed. And I saw you could actually make money on shoes and figured out everything they did right along with everything they did wrong and tried to take it from there and make something happen. I think going back to high school, I think everyone who loves sneakers during high school, we all kind of went through that same thing because that's when, especially in the 90s, the shoes were getting better. Our parents weren't buying us the shoes anymore. But even as high school students, we had other expenses too. It wasn't just sneakers. You know, you have to hang out with your friends or if you had a girlfriend or if you went on like trips. So it was like more things that we wanted with less money to go around. So it's like, how did you... Like, how did you buy the shoes that you wanted at that time? I know you mentioned like mowing mowing lawns and stuff like that. Yeah, I did a lot of that, man. And and just side hustles, trying to make things happen to, to shake some money here and there. Um, probably shouldn't have did some of the things I did, but, <laughs> but, but really was just trying to make it, man. My mom was really broke. She got divorced from my dad, I guess, when I was in fourth grade, fifth grade. Didn't have a lot. She had never really had a job in her life. So she's making zero money. Um, a friend of hers actually let us live in this old abandoned store kind of that we pretty much set up as a house. And uh, I mean, you, you just couldn't go to school without cool shoes at that time. I was already spoiled to it. So that was it. 
So I was trying whatever I can to try to make it and, and, and help my mom out and do things. So yeah, and you're right, man. There were so many good shoes coming out. And I think that was another big part of why I wanted to circle back to it then because you couldn't get all the shoes back then. You knew about them, but you couldn't, you couldn't get them. So mm-hmm. now coming back, retros, things like that, that's when it, it pops in your head. You're like, oh, I actually have a little money now. Wait, I do want that Griffey. I missed that Dion the first time around. I want this. Which is cool. Yeah. And you you touched on this as something that's a common thread with everybody we've had on the show is that love, right? Your love of sneakers and sports and you gravitate towards the the athlete that's wearing them. I mean, who didn't love Griffey back in the day? Oh, you know, man. he's rocking the backwards hat and and then you had Dion and Jordan and Penny and Shaq. And I mean, all these guys, big hurt, you know, I mean, you name it in the nineties, that was like the greatest era of all time. So my question would be, you know, you had this love, you're working at finish line, you're continuing to be around sneakers you know, that love has fueled a lot of people to start businesses, you know, but that's a huge jump to go from, you know, Hey, I used to work in retail. I kind of see it to, Hey, let's pull this together and start a shop. So can you talk about bridging that gap between just seeing it and then having a vision, putting a plan together and then actually bringing that to life? Yeah. Well, as, as I'm going through school, um, finishing up my degree, I got like a year left. I'm at finish line. I'm an assistant manager there. Um, I'm seeing finish line, make a lot of money. We started the store off I came in like six months after the store opened and then it became a million dollar store like the year after. And I was like, man, I'm seeing all this money. And I'm like, dude, this is in a small town. This is crazy. And um, seeing that and what I wanted to do in life at the time was be a stockbroker. And as I'm learning more and more about that, I'm like, yeah, this sucks. This is not what I want to do. This shoe stuff sounds really cool. Like, would I be able to make something happen with that? Um didn't think that was a, a, a opportunity I could make happen at the time. But um, later on, I met Dion from Concepts, who kind of became like friend, mentor, fucking everything, actually, and uh, helped me out. I was buying shoes from him, and he kind of uh, let me know, like, man, you got cool things going on down there. There's no stores. There's nothing. Um, you should make something happen. And I was like, man, you really think so? And kind of went from there. Um had money saved up, was just looking for an opportunity to do something with it and uh, just rolled the dice and did it. Caught a lot of flag from my family. Uh, we're supposed to go get my MBA after my degree. I turned that down at Rice. I was like, look, I'm gonna roll the dice now. If I fail, oh well. I mean, there's nothing to lose here. I'll just, I'll go back to school. The thing is like school will always be there, but let's say you decide to delay two, three, four years to start a shop. You might've been too late. If someone else kind of goes in and take that territory, you know, your opportunity is pretty much gone, especially in, even like in a city like New York, like you can't even have too many shops because they all like kind of cannibalize each other. But going back to your time at Finish Line, you mentioned that, you know, you got a lot of that firsthand, you know, experience of, you know, what it takes to run a shop. And you said you noticed that they were doing some things right and they're doing some things not as well, which you thought that you could fix. What were some of those things that you noticed that you thought you could turn into your own thing? So the things they were doing right, uh, as far as, and still to this day, my stores are set up the same stock room um, as they had, like um, the way they numbered shelves, did everything, uh, the way they did orders through the store, um, just managing employees, everything. They did all those textbook things were perfect. The only thing they were missing was the culture aspect. They were just hiring kids. Uh, they would train us, but there was no like love there. The kids were cool, but there wasn't a, a the store supporting that culture. So that was what I was like, man, like 
these dudes are all coming shop here because of me. They could easily go to Foot Locker or any other store. They're coming here because of me. Like they want to talk to me. They want to talk about shoes. They're, they're here for experience and to buy the shoes. So that was something I was like, man, if we could just bring this experience, this coolness, like I hang out with my customers. If we could bring that to a store, that would put us hands above everybody else. Because if everybody gets the same shoe, but this store is just cooler and it's funner to go, like you could go have a great time there and have a spend some time and get the shoes you want. I would much rather go to the experience. So that's why yeah. I went with that. Well, and I think the, the cultural aspect of sneaker shops and sneakers in general, right? The reason we've all connected with it is because we found our tribe. You know, we found our like-minded people and, and uh, you know, we all have this love of shoes, usually from when we were kids and then it's evolved quite a bit. So can you talk about, I mean, we'll get into some of the details with the shop and all, but you know, would you ever have dreamed of this when you were a kid? I mean, tell me about like, you know, some of the moments you've created and things you have for younger people that still blow your mind. No, no, never, man. Like I said, I didn't even know this was a, a, a opportunity or a thing. Like all I knew was finish lines and foot lockers until I met Dion. Without him, I would have never known about boutiques or anything. They had a couple of neighborhood stores I would go to and stuff, but it, nothing like a, a, a boutique that, that was happening at that time. And like John said, he's absolutely correct. Timing was everything right then. That was when boutiques started blowing up and started popping up around the country. If I would have waited two years, if I'd have went to school and finished my degree, got my MBA, um, I could have missed the boat easily. Someone else could have slipped in, got the account, and that was it. Louisiana couldn't use two accounts at that time. Like it just wasn't going to happen. So once you got in, you decided to start the shop. Can you talk about just little details like naming the shop, kind of what the non-negotiables were for you and your team? And, and how do you even launch something like that? Um, it, there was no team at that point. It was me. It was me <laughs> every day, all day doing everything, taking photos, running the register. Um, I slept in the store a few times. Like, I mean, I was doing everything at that time. Couldn't afford employees. Um, it was, it was, it was all or none. Like I was going to make it doing this or it was going to fail miserably. <laughs> um, but I was going down with the ship. Um, but yeah, just um, showing. <laughs> it, it's really funny and humbling thinking back to that. I mean, at some points, I remember being in the store and uh, customers would come in and uh, I got like a few T-shirts stolen from me and like it wrecked me. I couldn't believe that happened. So then when I would go to get a shoe in the back, as soon as I would turn the door, I would run to go get whatever product I can and then hurry up to come back out and then walk out like everything was cool. But I was really trying to hurry up and get back to make sure everything was all right. That and just eating lean cuisines or peanut butter sandwiches in the stock room waiting and I'd see, hear the door come up, put the sandwich down, run out and do things. Yeah, it, it was just a really funny, humbling time, man. That was like, that's a true one man show, a one man operation you had going on, you know? And, yeah. you know, my dad had his, uh, he, he owned the clothing store too, and I would have to help him. And it was like a lot of the same thing where I would have to be like the cashier and everything where he's in the back taking a rest or whatnot. But one thing you mentioned was the word accounts. And I'd like to kind of touch on that a little bit because I personally get a lot of DMs from a lot of young kids who want to open up their retail stores. And even on the sneaker news DMs, you know, people are always reaching out for advice. And I tried to explain to them, you know, what an account is. So can you finally establish what what what's a Nike account? What does that mean? And you mentioned something about, you know, like Louisiana, that area only had room for one account. What does that mean? Can you explain that? Account, I mean, uh, boutique account, like tier zero, top tier, like boutique product. 
um, we're the only ones in Louisiana that has it. Uh, we're the only ones in Texas that has it as well, which is crazy. But to get that account was everything. Just to get a Nike account at first was hard. So then once we did finally get our foot in the door and establish ourselves, um, we wanted to tell them, look, we, we appreciate all this product, but we think we could do more. Like we want different things. We carry these other brands. We understand what you guys are doing and where you're trying to go with this product and we wanna be part of it. Um, but getting, getting them to understand that in the South, they, they, it just wasn't clicking. It was New York, LA, Chicago, and that was it. That was all that was going through in their minds at the time. And uh, it, it was a long road to finally get them to think, look, man, we actually put on shoes. We like sneakers too. We could sell just as much as these other stores can, uh, if not more. Like people in the South still loves Jordans like crazy. Like at one point, a couple of years ago, Jordans were declining everywhere around the country, except in the South, they were still running heavily. And um, just to get our foot in the door and let them know that we could do that and we, we wanted the accounts was a really hard road. Almost broke me. I mean, we didn't get the first, we didn't get a Nike account for around a year, a year and a half. And then finally got that. And then it took Jordan another six months to jump on board. So, I mean, two months without that account, man, that's really, really tough. Well, and it seems like to get an account, it's not just about selling sneakers. It's about how you're going to present that product. It's about that culture you talked about. It seems really the only people for a while getting accounts were the most authentic people. And it was people that really understood the culture, really understood the product, really could present it in a light that made Nike look not just pretty good, but amazing. And uh, can you talk about that kind of formulating your taste and then, you know, how you did kind of unlock that account? And then what did you do once you got it to kind of make sure that you uh, kind of proved to Nike that they that that was the right move to get you set up. Yeah, like you said, that everyone was trying to get these high tier accounts. Like everyone wants to carry a Travis Scott Jordan one, but the difference was it was me who was wearing Jordan ones in the meeting, or this guy in a suit and wingtips saying he wants a Travis Scott Jordan ones. I mean, you could see straight through it. Everyone wants it, but at the end of the day, like you don't understand the product. You you're not sure what's going to happen with this. And I, I think just going to meetings and hanging out with these people and genuinely like going out drinking, like doing everything, just partying and, and showing them like, man, I love this and live this just like you do. And, and they, they saw through the accounts that didn't and the ones that did. Some people were there just to make money. Some were more corporate and there's nothing wrong with any of that. It was just different levels. And, and Nike did a really good job of picking it in the end. You know, since it first started in 06, you've expanded to a number of different stores. And has there ever been an opportunity where, let's say, like a huge corporate company came in and wanted to like partner up with you or anything like that? Yeah, I had some uh, weird meetings before. Or not weird meetings, just people approaching me and saying weird things. And it was at weird times. Like, um, I see a lot of people. Um, who is it? JD? Is it JD buying everyone right now? Yeah, I mean, they're coming in and scooping everyone. It's it's crazy. and and. People ask all the time, like, man, would you sell? Would you sell? And no, I wouldn't right now, man. I'm, I feel like I'm still too young. I still love waking up every day doing this. Um, I'm excited to go to work. So if I sell, what am I going to do? Like, I mean, I have some other companies that suck going to work for. I hate going to those meetings. Like, it's just not fun. This is my love, my passion. This is what I enjoy. So, man, I'm, I'm going to do this until I, I, I really hate it and get tired of it. And I don't see that happening for a while. Uh, that's a good answer. I mean, a lot of a lot of reasons that businesses thrive is because of that purpose and that passion and that 
you know, like you said, wanting to get out of bed to come in and serve, you know, the customers and the clients and, and, you know, meet new people through it. Right. I mean, like-minded people that you become great friends with, obviously. So, uh, you know, I have a question in regards to what is next for you guys, right? I mean, you, you have incredible shops and you continue to expand. Um, you know, we've seen collabs over the years, we've seen, you know, a lot of growth, but you know, when you do get in to the office, what are you working on that is exciting? You know, what can you share with us that, you know, what's next for you guys? Um, so if you would ask me this in 2019, I had this question totally mapped out and then 2020 hit and now I'm, I'm kind of scrambling just like the rest of the world. Um, we put all like um, store growth plans on halt for now. Uh, the one thing we do have going on, I bought another building in Dallas next to our store, which will be really sick. It'll have a courtyard. We're putting a bar in the store, which I think will be really sick. And I'm working on a new store in Lafayette that we're going to move one of our stores into. Um, so just improving the shop. So keep going on. I'm not sure if we're going to hop in any cities as of now, kind of put that on pause. But um, collaborations got things in the pipes. Um, we have a project with A6 dropping Veterans Day, which should be really sick. Um, have something with Adidas Consortium, um, working on some more like Bayou Boys, Jordan stuff. Uh, which should be really exciting. And uh, we'll keep running that. Also getting better at our own branded things, like our own line. Um, that was something I always wanted, um, never could pull off. And finally, uh, I got a team of guys like working on it now and things are finally starting to click for us. So I'm really excited about that. That's great. I think that's a great next step too, because you've been trusted for your taste and your creation, which is why you got the Nike and the Jordan accounts and why you've been in business for almost 15 years. Right. But now sneaker politics is not just a store. It's also a brand. Right. And you see a lot of other stores doing that, putting out their own merch and things of that nature. So you have all these, uh, you know, already plans set out to expand your stores. You have these plans to do collaborations. Now at the end of the day, you, you still need people to work in your store. So what do you look for in an employee to even stock the shelves? Cause Working at a sneaker boutique is one of like the hottest jobs, especially if you're young in the game and you want to crack into the industry. And we've had guests in the past that say that, you know, they got to where they were because they started off as, you know, stock boys or whatever. So what do you look for, especially in like a young job applicant? So I talked about how I was running the store by myself at first. And um, it, there was this one kid that would skateboard in front of the shop like almost every day. And he would come in, like cool off. I'd give him a water or whatever. We would talk or whatever. And uh, as the store started getting busy, he would like help me out. He would just randomly help me out and I'd throw him cash here and there where it got to the point where I actually needed someone. And I was like, man, and he was like, dude, I would love to help you out. I'm like, I just don't have the money right now. Um, I got, I could pay you like 40 bucks a day. Dude started walking for 40 bucks a day cash, which is insane. And uh, he would show up every day, do everything. And then from there, um, I took on like three other guys. So it was four main guys that helped start out. Those four guys still with me today and run their own stores and do different things in our company um, and help me with everything. Most people that we hire are still on with us. Like I, Man, I could think of like maybe four or five people that have started with us that don't work with us anymore. Every single other person has started and stayed with us. More of a family atmosphere and, and just like 
I mean, I, I put it to them like this. We get to the point to where either they're graduating from college or they're looking for something else in life. And I'm like, okay, what can you do to how much you need to make a year? And what can you do for the company to help us get that way? And, and if we could figure it out, I'm totally for it. Um, like one of those four guys started the website. He's like, yo, man, I'll do the website. One of them went to Baton Rouge. One of them moved to Austin. But they all found their own path and kept going with it. And I try to do that with every employee we, we put on. I offer them opportunity, offer them to stay on, and, and we'll try to figure it out. Well, and it seems like those traits that you're looking for are, first of all, a willingness, you know, the ability to, hey, you know what, I'm going to come in, get my hands dirty, learn the business, figure it out. They do, I mean, 40 bucks a day is not a lot of money, but at the same time, he's getting paid to come in and get some mentorship and learn about the business and probably get a deal on some sneakers and, you know, all kinds of perks that come with that. But uh, it's amazing to hear that, you know, he's still around. So can you touch on a little bit of kind of the leadership? You know, a lot of it is we can tell very quickly that you're a very genuine guy. You love sneakers. You're good with people, right? And that's a huge part of, of obviously being a leader. Can you talk about the traits on your end, what it's taken to grow and still keep that empathy? And I'm sure in those kids, you see a lot of yourself, right? You're like, yo, this was me when I was that age, right? So can you just touch on the leadership it takes to kind of lead a company that's now grown to a, a pretty sizable, you know, uh, account? That's hard, man, because I'm still trying to figure that out. But um, yeah, like you said, I see myself and, and that's what I want because, because I was that kid working behind the register. Someone would walk in, I'd go, be, go out, talk to them, um, not just say, hey, you need some help? All right, let me know if you do and walk back. But like, yo, what are you doing this weekend? What's going on? Um, what are you into with sports? Like, just trying to make friendship, trying to create like a bond and, and give them something cool to do for the day, like hang out at the shop. Um, and, and I try to get everyone that works for us to do the same thing. And, uh, I, I, I just lucked out. Like I said, those four guys been with me for, man, I guess you could say 12 years and they know everything about me. They've seen me struggle. They've seen me ups and downs and rode this whole thing with me. So, so they take that with them and teach their employees at their stores to do the same thing. And I go to the stores and check on them and try to make sure it's the same thing. I want every store to be like this first day when you walked into the Lafayette, Louisiana store and I was there and it was a good experience. I want every store to have that vibe. I mean, sure. it, it worked and I wanted to keep going. I think that was great. Well, and that's a very hard thing to scale, it's right? It's one, it's one thing to have one shop. It's another thing as you scale to scale the, the heartbeat of the shop, right? And and the culture and the ability to uh, serve customers so where it's consistent, right? Because that's the thing is you have to be consistent. So uh, we can tell, I mean, in talking to you that you have been very consistent over the years. I mean, you're one of our favorite sneaker shops. And, and, and honestly, you know, obviously I haven't talked to you before today, but you can tell why, you know, and you can tell that you care and, and that you've trained and treated your employees really well. So you know, those listening are curious. John made a point about, you know, what do you look for in a stock boy or anybody getting in? You know, can you share some, of, I mean, shared some of the leadership, but can you share some tips you have for either people trying to, I don't know, start a sneaker shop or work at a sneaker boutique or really anybody in business trying to figure out kind of where they're going next? Man, don't DM us. <laughs> don't do that. Come talk to us in person. If you're, if you want to work at the store, um, stop in whatever city you're in, come talk to us just 
bring your resume, tell us, like, just hang out, just become friends with us. Um, most people that we hired have been customers at a store that just showed up all the time. We became friends. And then one day they were like, hey, man, if you ever need any help, let me know. That's how almost all our employees came about. And it, it, it's easier to hire people you kind of know where they are than just a DM off of Instagram where you have no clue yet. There's no soul. There's nothing there. Um, just show up and talk to us, man. Let's let's figure it out together. And and I'm sure something could happen if you take great photos. Show up with your camera. Show us some pictures. If if you're good at whatever, just show up and and show brag to us. Show us your resume. Do it, but do it in person. I think. I think that's a better thing. And that's a good piece of advice in general. Show up. Yeah, right? exactly. Yep. I mean, how is it easy is it to DM every store in the city? Like, dude, really? But when you show up and become a person and you're you're in our face, it's different. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a sign of the times where since we're all so connected but disconnected at the same time, we think a simple DM, a simple message, a simple email is going to really make or break it. And if you know, those things don't work out, they just move on. I think even for us, when we hire at Sneaker News, because we hire from entry level to, you know, experienced professionals, you know, we look for people who put in that extra effort, even if it means working for free for a day or wanting to uh, spend an extra hour just to talk, things like that, because, you know, we need to see some sort of attachment to it. I think for you, a lot of your employees, it's like they used to hang out there every day and they just kind of never left. So it's like, I might as well pay you and, you know, (laughs) have you learn the business and kind of grow with us. And now- they're like managing their own stores too. So each each one of the guys who are now running your stores probably have their own sneaker salary story. I'm sure they never thought that they would get to where where they were. So you're kind of like starting this little empire here and putting you know your your hometown on the map. And I think right now, especially with guys like Zion Williamson, you know the Pelicans are such a big team, and Jordan Brandon's putting like a lot, a lot of effort into that. What are some things that are very distinct about? your area in terms of fashion or sneaker trends or whatever that may not be so common in other areas? I mean, I'm sure you had to have like a front row seat to all that knowing the trends, right? So so I didn't realize all this going through it, but then once everything started happening, like um, when Ewing brand retroed, at first I didn't want to pick them up because we had no clue what that was in the South. Like it wasn't a thing here. Um, and our, our phone posits, phone posits weren't big in the South at all. No one was wearing phone posits. But we were like Reeboks, Reebok soldiers and like things like that, which I thought was normal, but realize now that no one else was really wearing those at the time, just us, um, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, with, with Zion and, and different things happening, um, it is it is putting a spotlight on New Orleans. Luca and Dallas is putting a spotlight on Dallas, which is insane, man. And and Jordan Brand's putting a ton of money. Not only Jordan Brand, the NBA in general is is noticing all this, which is awesome for us, man, because we want to go hand in hand and try to make great events happen with all that stuff as well. For sure. I mean, we we try our best to have good uh, relationships with all the teams and stuff in the areas. Um, we we're cool with most players and do stuff with them without these brands stepping in. But then now it, they're on the side too. It, it's really cool. That's great. And I, I mean, I, I want to follow up with that, right? You've had a front row seat to the entire sneaker world growing. And so can you talk about that in general? I mean, this has been unbelievable to see the the growth in sneakers, to see the collaborations, the things shift to fashion. And, and just, I mean, it's been unbelievable. You know, Jordan's, like you said. So can you talk about what some of your favorite things in sneakers have been and kind of what that ride's been like for you having a front row seat? Man, what a ride, really. I mean, dude, this 15 years 
it, it, it seems like it took a long time, but at the same time it flew by and now we're here. And it's like, I'd never thought here would be here. Um, digital apps and the way you get sneakers now, and you can't do first come first serve anymore. Sneakers are so big that, I mean, we, w- we were having fights and like the shopping centers were banning us from doing first come first serve. And then like we were doing in-store raffles, but so many people would show up. We couldn't even handle that. Um, sneakers is huge. And I mean, just just the amount of pairs we used to get, a quick strike, we used to get like 18 pairs. Now we'll get like triple that or, or more than triple that. We'll get tons of pairs now for releases to take care of customers. And it's still not enough. Um, it's just grown so much, man. And, and, and I've been really blessed to be a part of it. Um, favorite moments, man, everything, every moment. I, I still get hyped for every like dunks are having a moment again. How sick. It's so cool to watch. It's so cool to go through it again. Um, watching SB blow up again, watching anything happen. It, it Man, it's just exciting. Uh, Griffey just came out and I was nervous this round. Like, I don't know if kids will be into it again. Flew as soon as they came out, gone. I was like, man, it's really cool to watch again. Sneakers are bigger than ever. And, and every time I think they're plateauing out, they get bigger. It's crazy. <laughs> How cool is it too to see the other side of the coin, right? Can you talk about that? I mean, growing up, you would buy the shoes, and now here you are, you're making money on the shoes. You're you're able to you know kind of give those customers an experience that you had when you were younger. I mean, talk about that and how fun that is, and exciting and interesting. Maybe to just step back and kind of analyze that. Oh man, I love seeing 16 year old Derek get the shoes in the store still to this day. It's cool as hell because I remember that feeling. Uh, I mean, sometimes you would miss, sometimes you would hit. And when you would hit, it was the greatest day ever. Like, oh man, you come in the store, you had your money ready, grab the shoes, like sometimes put them on in the store, sometimes you walk out with them, but like warm that night, it was cool as hell. And it's still cool to see it today, man. I love release days of seeing people win and stuff like that and happy people. Of course, you got all these mad people as well now, because like I said, it's so big now and it's still not enough pairs going around. So there's more people mad, but still watching the people that do succeed and win is sick. I think like that whole, you know, that shop aspect still exists in your store. And I think, you know, I have to say that even some of the shops in New York sometimes lack that because it's so big and they have to serve such, you know, huge volumes of people. So I get it. But going back to, you know, uh, how, you know, sneakers have become so popular. I think part of it too is because of social media. Everyone's just like over-informed. I mean, you know, sneaker news, we have like millions of readers and I'm sure everyone knows what's coming out. Whereas back in like the mid 2000s, you know, sneakers were, were about being in the know, you know, like we liked something that other people didn't really care for. And now people are liking it right now. So I think that's part of miss that's kind of missing right now in sneakers. So what do you think is maybe next in the industry? Because right now everyone knows about what's coming out and they know what release dates, they know resale prices, they know they're over-informed. But what do you think is the next thing that might take people by surprise when it comes to sneakers? I don't know, man. That's a hard question. Cause you're, you're right, man. It's a gift and a curse. Um, I, I love the days when you had to show up at the shop to see what we had. I mean, that was just cool. That was just, Sometimes still today, like we'll delay posting something on Instagram or something and let it live in the store for a few days first. So that guy coming in every day or walking in the store gets to see it first and has the opportunity first. But yeah, man, I mean, you guys know about shoes more than like quicker than I do sometimes. I'm on your site trying to figure out what's going on. And it's crazy, the information and the leaks. And 
even like your own collab will be out before you even saw the sample. And it's like, wait, what is going on here? And you don't want that to be out. You're like, no, that's actually not the right sample. We got a better one. It's like I said, it's a gift and a curse. Sometimes things will blow up before we even know about it. And it's because you guys built the hype and there's all the information there. So kids are on it. You you could forecast what to order and stuff because you already see them reacting to that post. You're like, oh man, okay. So they're really into this. I need to order this heavy. I should have ordered more Griffies, you know? I should have looked at y'all site and saw that. <laughs> but um, what's next, man? I don't know. I, I thought, like I told you, I thought I had that figured out and now digital took over last year and, and we're trying more and more on that. We do this raffle system now, which uh, we built, which was so crazy. I was hand doing the, seeing the entries and doing everything. So you have to figure out bots. There was raffle bots, which I don't even know existed at the time. So we were fighting that and trying to figure that out. And, and you could pick, uh, like if a guy won a raffle, is it fair that he wins next week too? Or you want to make as many people like happy as you can. So we, we're going through all that process now and figuring out the whole digital aspect of it. But so now that COVID's kind of telling off and people could come back in stores, I'm back to even if you win a raffle, you're coming get it in the store. Like I want people to show up and we'll talk and we'll do whatever. Um, I, I still want that hangout store aspect of it. Because without that, I mean, it's it's soulless to me, man. It's it's not fun. It's not the same. I want I want events back. I want everything back. And hopefully by next year, we could do all that. I'm glad you brought up bots, though, because I'm going to give you one minute. Just air, air out every grievance you have right now about bots. Because I look at all your Instagram stories and I laugh, but at the same time, I get worried because like, man, like this is what shop owners have to deal with. And even like Joe posted too. And he's just like, man, it must be such a struggle. So- Go for it. Just air it out. <laughs> Everything you have, just just let's hear it, man. I, I need a whole show for that, man. I'm so committed to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It started happening. Like, we just started seeing it happening. Soon as we'll post a Jordan 1 mid, gone, seconds. And I'm like, yo, what is happening? I don't, I don't get what's going on. Had to figure it out. Had to start studying. Started noticing the same guys are getting it back to back. I'm like, man, are you just on our side at the right time? Or what's happening? And uh, it took a whole learning process of, of figuring it out. Then these guys are just putting Jordan 1 and they're hitting on the wrong color. Like if a lucky green mid comes out and they wanted the high and then they hit on the mid. So then we have 700 orders for this mid that they don't want. So we're hand going through them and canceling them, which now the credit card companies caught on to it. And they're like, look, we're going to charge you a fee for this. So like if, if you cancel an order, we're charging you like, uh, 3% of the order, like you, you're not getting that back or whatever. So then we're losing money. Now we're fighting all this other stuff. And it's just, it just became a huge headache, man. You know, you touched on something earlier about, you know, it's new, it's exciting. What's next is crazy and it's been chaotic, but I think that's part of the fun, right? I mean, I think the best entrepreneurs are not just good at one thing, but they're kind of wear multiple hats. They're good at evolving and adapting and problem solving. And that's obviously a huge part of this. So I mean, man, it's, it's been fun talking about kind of your journey and how you went from, you know, Hey, I just love sneakers to now here. You're trying to solve bot problems, you know, in 2021. So, you know, I, I want to touch on a few things that we learned about you, um, to share kind of with the listeners. Number one is, you know, sneaker politics was born out of love, you know, it was born out of authenticity and, and that's a huge part of, of anything anybody does. And we've learned that across the board. Number two is don't be afraid to take a risk. You know, you bet it, you bet on yourself and, 
you really took a, a huge chance and, um, you know, that risk paid off. Right. And, and last but not least show up, you know, don't be afraid to show up, build meaningful relationships, get to know people. I mean, here you got a guy hanging outside the store, you end up paying him 40 bucks a day and now he's running one of your stores. I mean, that's just talk about like, uh, you know, an opportunity that came from getting to know you and, and getting to know a business owner that then took a, a chance on them, which to you, it probably wasn't even that big of a risk. You know, you're like, yo, this guy needs a break. And, and you gave him that break and bet on him. And, and you probably saw a little bit of yourself in, in that kid too. And, and, uh, and now here you are, you, it, John said it, you have an empire, you know, you have something that you can be proud of and we're certainly proud of it. You're a, a huge pillar of the sneaker world. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool to, to hear behind the scenes because, what sneaker politics has been to the culture for us is, you know, this really cool sneaker shop, but to put a face with it and to know the hard work and the struggles that went with it is, uh, is pretty cool, you know? So thank you so much for, for sharing and coming on the podcast, man. That was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and fuck the butts. Yes. Ah, fuck, fuck the, the bots, butts, man. <laughs> Everybody got their husband. All right. Can't hate on them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think the one good thing about bots is that it's forced a lot of shop owners to now reconsider, you know, focusing in store now. And I think that's really yeah. going to be the, the, the long-term, you know, positive effect is that, you know, it's not about just waiting at your computer at 10 AM, pressing a button and, you know, posting on social media, if you cop a win or a loss, but now it's, Hey, let me go to the store. Let me become friends with the guy. And maybe that's how I get my shoes just by being a part of that, you know, close, close knit community. So who knows, who knows what happens, but, you know, I, I'm glad that you pointed out how, you know, bots aren't just like this harmless thing. It's not this like, hey, if someone's going to pay for it, it's no big deal. But really, there's people that are hurting from yeah, it. And so I could be the lazy shop owner and just let all those artists fly through and ship them out and not care. But yeah. it sucks. I don't want one dude to get 70 pair. I want I want them to go to 70 different people. Make as yeah. many happy as we can. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, again, Derek, thanks for coming on, man. It was great to hear your story. Great, to, great for you to drop some insight. And uh, for all the young listeners out there who are trying to like crack into this industry, you know, I'm sure they definitely learned something really valuable. So appreciate you sharing your story, man. Nah, thank you guys, man. Means a lot. So that's it for this week's episode of Sneaker Salaries. But let's keep the conversation going online on our social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sneaker Salaries and hit us with a DM or a tweet. You can follow me personally on Instagram at John B-E-E-J Kim. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan Hagedorn. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if there's a topic you want us to tackle or a guest you want us to have on, you can reach out to us at sneakersalariespod at gmail.com. If you like the episode, feel free to share it with your friends and help spread the word. And please show us some love by leaving a five-star rating and positive review so we can grow this podcast. Sneaker Salaries is a sneakernews.com and 137 p.m. partnership and a Gallery Media Group original production.